his ministry by announcing his central message. The kingdom of God is now at hand, is touchable and open to all people. Repent, he says, reorient your life toward God. And many people find his message so absolutely electrifying that they respond in many different ways. For some of them, they find this message so electrifying because they've been waiting for the Messiah for centuries. And they believe that God will now come with military power to free and liberate Jerusalem and the temple. Other people, the electricity of Jesus' words comes because for the very first time in their lives, some of them are being invited into a loving relationship with God instead of being excluded from it. And for other people, this talk about another kingdom is seditious and dangerous and edgy, a direct challenge to the Roman Empire, who holds Palestine under its cruel occupation. And so the interesting thing is that some people, when they hear Jesus' message, shout and dance for joy. And other folks are so threatened by it that they start planning how to kill him. But for us, 2,000 years later, the hair-raising electricity of Jesus' message is often, has often decreased to something more like a worn-out 9-volt battery. Why is that? Well, I think for us, there's the problem of our tired familiarity. We've heard Jesus' announcement of the kingdom coming so often that we don't hear it anymore. Yada, yada, yada. Second, we're not exactly inspired anymore when we think about kingdoms and kings. I mean, all we have to do is think about King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia or Prince Charles, the future king of England. Are those inspiring thoughts? Hearing about kings and kingdoms tends to bring to mind feudal systems of fear and patriarchy and domination. Nothing inspiring. And finally, for quite a few of us, we came to faith in churches where God's kingdom was rarely mentioned. And if it was, it was only talked about as some future reality or as a synonym for heaven, not something that begins in the here and now in our daily lives. And so sometimes when we hear this talk about the kingdom in the here and now, it sounds downright strange and even alien. 
This past week, a dear friend asked me a question that I've been pondering all week. She said to me, what on earth is the kingdom of God? I think that was a spirit-led question. What is it? It is a realm without borders that is present wherever people are living as God intends. Generously, gratefully, caring for creation. Where the poor have what they need, evil is overcome and resisted with good. And most importantly, where people live in a loving and interactive relationship with the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther King simply called it the beloved community. That's the kingdom. And even today, even today in 2014, Jesus is calling all of us as well to seek First, the kingdom of God. To repent and defect from our empire of violence and greed and consumerism and to immigrate into his alternative realm of justice and righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because as the Bible tells us, and we have to only take this by faith in this terrible week, as the Bible tells us, the kingdom of God is the ultimate destiny, not just of the church, but of the whole cosmos. So dear friends, let's take a little time this morning together. And let Jesus teach us how to see this real but often hidden reality so that in seeing it, we can begin to participate in it more fully ourselves. In today's reading from Matthew 13, Jesus clothes his descriptions about God's kingdom in five playful word pictures that we call parables. And I invite you, if you find it helpful, to follow along with us in Matthew 13. Matthew 13. And we start in verse 31. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed. You ever seen a mustard seed? It's small. God begins in the minuscule, the inconsequential, but grows things to amazingly unexpected proportions. God has a way of bringing great things out of little things. Little things in our lives, like 
like forgiving that person you're having trouble forgiving. Like resisting evil when we see it. Like extending grace. Like protecting a vulnerable person. Verse 33. The kingdom is like a woman who mixes yeast into a batch of flour. I love that. But in Greek, it's even better. It's even edgier. It doesn't say she mixes. In Greek, it says she hides the yeast. Hides the yeast in the flour. Hmm. You see, in the ancient world, yeast is actually a negative symbol. You can go to 1 Corinthians 5, 6, where Paul uses it as a negative image. It is somewhat akin to contamination, a virus. Here Jesus is saying that the kingdom is sometimes like a covert insurgency that is plotting goodness, conspiring kindness, waging peace in our world. God's reign is often an unseen force secretly transforming our world from the inside out. Verse 44. This is good stuff, isn't it? Amen? Verse 44. Entering this kingdom requires of all of us a radical and decisive choice. It's like a treasure hidden in a field or a pearl of great price that is so precious, so exquisitely beautiful that we are led to cash out on everything else. It's been said that when we pray, Thy kingdom come, it means my kingdoms go. Once we start seeking first the kingdom of God, our days of pledged allegiance to any other kingdom and any other king are over. Verse 47. The kingdom is like a dragnet that catches a great abundance of fish. The fisher casts out the net as widely as possible, not worried at all about catching the wrong kind of fish. Everyone is pulled in, good people, bad people, obvious sinners and secret sinners, Jewish insiders and Gentile outsiders. The fisher knows that all the sorting out of the good from the bad will happen later. And who knows? Who knows? 
maybe some of the wrong kind of fish will turn out to be the best catch of all. Amen? And then in verse 52, Jesus highlights the importance of being trained. And we're going to focus on that now. Trained for the kingdom of heaven. And it is this kind of kingdom training that I believe is at the very heart of this church's mission. Here at East Chestnut, we're not just interested in making converts who believe in Jesus. And we are interested in doing that, but we are also even more interested in making disciples who are actually learning how to live and love as Jesus lived and loved. Here at East Chestnut, all of us, especially me, are apprentices in kingdom living to our last breath. It never ends. We never stop growing. And a cru crucial part of this training You know, Anne Lamott said, salvation is a new pair of glasses. <laughs> a crucial part of Jesus' training is helping us to learn to see, to visualize, to imagine kingdom realities that often seem hidden, maybe even absent in our world. In our world that is often filled these days with violence and greed and fear, this ability to see the kingdom is crucial to our being able to participate in it. You have to see it to join it. And in my email to all of you this week, I shared a photo, looked like a geometry lesson, of three circles. There was one circle that said, the kingdom of God. And then there was a separate circle that said the church. And then there was another circle that said the world. Kingdom, church, and world. And I asked all of you, and I, I hope that you're taking these things seriously, I asked you, how do these things fit together? Do they remain separate like that picture? Do they intersect maybe a little bit or partially or is one completely in the other? I'd love to see your pictures. You know, in my faith journey, God keeps pushing me to expand my awareness of the kingdom's scope, its reach. At first I assumed when I came to faith that the church circle and the kingdom circle were exactly the same. You ever assume that? The problem is, is that when then we start discovering all the ways that the church is often broken and unfaithful. 
and I discover the ways that I personally contribute to that reality. And I remember so well back in the 90s how relieved and grateful I was to read in our Mennonite Confession of Faith that the church is not identical to the kingdom. Now let me be clear. It is certainly the church's high calling for that to become less and less the case. In other words, that the church more and more give the whole world a beautiful picture of what the kingdom is like. But we are always on our way in more fully embodying the kingdom for others. And then, my kingdom awareness was even further expanded. Around seven years ago at a pastor's week in Elkhart, when Rodney Clapp, a Christian writer and thinker, drew the first circle, the church. All right? And then he drew another circle around it, the world. And then he drew another circle around the world, the kingdom. And I was blown away. If he's right, do you see what that means? Church, world, kingdom. We, the church, need to constantly be alert to what God is already doing in the world around us. We're so used to looking only inside the church to see what God is doing. Expand our vision. And sometimes this means joining something that God is doing already outside the church. Friends, in our world today, what might that be? Kingdom training. Kingdom training. A friend of mine is a soccer coach. And he tells me that it takes 10,000 repetitions for something to become ingrained in our muscle memory. Two weeks ago in the World Cup, it took 10,000 repetitions for Mario Goetze, I don't know if I said that right, you know who he was, to be able to stop that ball on his chest and even before the ball hit the ground, to drop kick it into the goal. Now, if you or I were standing there, <laughs> the ball would have just gone sailing. And in the very same way, I believe it takes 10,000 sightings of the kingdom to sharpen our vision and ability to see it. And so this morning, let me share with you some of my own recent glimpses of the kingdom. I see the kingdom. When our youth take a week of their summer vacation, not to go to the beach, but go down to Harlan County, 
to serve alongside those in need. That's the kingdom. I see the kingdom when one of our dear sisters, whose name is Linda, hears God's call to ministry, sells her home, and now is moving all the way. Well, it's not all the way. It's pretty close to Winchester, Virginia. I see the kingdom when our church and Mindy's family and her friends all join together to help her release a new CD. And it's a good one. I see the kingdom when four neighbors send me a note, a letter, because one of our members came by to clean their sidewalks of trash and debris, and you know who you are. And I bet you know who she is. <laughs> I see the kingdom when folks here in our church in their 60s and 70s and 80s actively share their time and their energy at community meals, at anti-drone events, Mennonite World Conference, tutoring young people in a dozen other ways, showing us that we never retire from kingdom service. Nor do we ever retire from lives filled with purpose. And beyond our church, I see the kingdom when over 4,000 in our city gather for the annual Race Against Racism. That was a glimpse of the kingdom of God. I see the kingdom in the internet movement called It Gets Better. It Gets Better that is reaching out to give hope to young people who are getting bullied and driven to suicide because of their sexual orientation. That message of hope, the assurance that they are the beloved children of God, is not coming from the church, but from the world. And I see the kingdom when an Israeli and Palestinian family who both recently lost their precious sons to murder reach out by phone to call each other. Imagine the courage of that call. Friends, where do you see the kingdom? Are your eyes open? And if they are, we welcome you to share your glimpses in our community life today. So here's where we end. If Jesus 
we're standing up here today and announcing the kingdom, do you think he would really announce the kingdom of God with those words? Or would he bring out what is new and what is old for all of us here today in 2014? Might he instead talk about the kingdom as the worldwide web of God? So that we would all see that we can be connected and plugged in. Would he preach instead about the insurgency of God so that we would all actively start undermining the hatred and the greed and the violence around us? Or might he invite all of us to join the dance of God? Each of us joyfully following his dance steps and swaying gracefully to the rhythm of God's love and shalom. Friends, if one of these images is helping you this morning to see and to seek first the kingdom of God, then for heaven's sake, run with it. And maybe even dance with it. Amen.